Mitch Green, the missions pastor on staff. I'm excited to be preaching for you this morning. Um, we're jumping into a new series. I'm super excited about this. Um, you know, you never want to be the guy who gets the assigned the series about money. But we are going to be talking about a series called Follow the Money Today. And the idea of this series is this, that if I were to lay my bank account before you, and you were to see the different things that I spend money on, it would tell you something about me. It would tell you what I like, what I value. It would probably tell you at this point in life that my wife is 30 weeks pregnant, and we're going to have a baby in 10 weeks, and you would see all these things, the different purchases. You would see the things that we value and the things that we care about. And, and so when we follow the money, it tells us something about what we value. And see, John Calvin has this great quote, you've probably heard it here often, where he says, the human heart is an idol-making factory. And see, what Jesus says is that the money is one of the things that we are the greatest at risk of making an idol in our life. He, in fact, talks about money more than he talks about anything else. And so we have to regularly talk about money. Now let me pause here for a moment. Another thing that you should know from a pastor, that if you're new with us this morning, this is not necessarily the sermon that we want you to come in on. Nobody wants, everybody knows that money is one of the things that churches talk about that tend to drive people away from church. Because what they think is that we just want your money. I want to tell you this this morning. We as a staff are incredibly grateful for the past year we've had. In the middle of a pandemic, our giving has absolutely never been better. I mean, I mean, God has been so, so, so faithful to us as a church. And so I'm, I'm coming to you this morning as a pastor on our staff talking about giving, and I'm not necessarily saying that we need more of it. I'm just saying that it is good for us from time to time, especially at the beginning of a new year, to sit before one another and to evaluate how we use our resources and what do they tell us about the way that we relate to our faith. Because our money says something about the things that we value. So that's simply what we're doing. So if, we're new, if you're new here with us this morning, I hope you get something out of this as much as everybody in our congregation. This isn't necessarily me saying we need more money. It is nothing like that. We're just talking about how we can manage our money better in light of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But before we do that, I want to say a few things this morning. Our staff has been working incredibly hard at trying to figure out ways that we can connect with people in our congregation better throughout the week. And so with the launch of a new series, I just want to introduce you to a few things. Luke mentioned them in the videos, but I know we don't always catch those things. With every sermon going forward, we're actually going to put out a weekly reading plan. And so you can go to our website and you can find weekly devotionals that you'll actually read the text that the person is preaching before they get there. And in fact, you even can download our app and you can follow those things. One of the other things we've been doing for a, ton, for a lot of years, and this is something that Dalton Cox works very hard on, and I always appreciate this, I use it myself, is that there's sermon notes for every single sermon that we do on Sundays. So you can go to the website and you can actually see a version of the notes that I'm working off of. And you can type, you can record those things, and it's just a better way to follow the sermon. And then every single Wednesday, Chris McLaughlin works really, really hard for us to put out a podcast where we recap the week before sermon. So if you've got other things you're engaging with throughout the week that work for you, keep doing those things. But I want to encourage you, 
as we start this series this morning, if you're someone that you don't have a Bible reading plan, head on over to our website, download the app, start reading through the scripture with us as we go through this morning. And then secondly, check out our podcast on Wednesdays where we recap these sermons more. So there's a little bit of housekeeping as we jump in this morning. But I want to show you guys this wealth diagram just to kind of hammer in why we need to talk about money. See, this right here, this is a diagram of the household um, financial wealth across the world. This is showing um, people's net worth. This is household net worth. This shows the American net worth is $176,000 average per family compared to, this, uh, compared to the other families around the world. So we often, um, when we think about ourselves as Americans, we don't necessarily think of ourselves, all of us, as being some of the richest people around the world. But the reality is that if you compare us to even these other developed nations, every single one of us in the room is considered financially wealthy. Now I want to take us back a little bit. See, when we see Jesus talking to the crowd in the Gospels, and we imagine the people that he's talking to, and he's bringing up money more regularly than he has any other subject, and he's talking about why they should care about it and why it's a risk for them to become an idol of their heart, sometimes we picture them like us. But the reality is that the crowd that Jesus is talking to is probably at best low middle class, more likely low class individuals, people that don't have a lot of resources, and yet he's still standing before them saying that money is something that they're at risk of making an idol of their heart. In Matthew chapter 6, I believe, if we can get that first passage up there, Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Not necessarily a quote that seems at the beginning that it's going to be about money, but he goes straight there. He then says this later in the book of Matthew. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. See, what Jesus is saying to all of us in the room, rich, poor, no matter where we're at on the financial spectrum, that all of us are at risk of making money the idol of our heart. And so it's good. It's good for us as we start our year to look at how we manage our resources, how we manage our money, because they say something about us. And what we're going to see this morning, we're going to look at a parable found in Matthew chapter 25. You can go ahead and turn there if you want. And we're going to see this morning that how we manage our resources says something about the way that we relate to God. In fact, in this parable, we're going to see it might actually be one of the greatest markers that can tell us how we relate to God. So we're going to look at the parable in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30 this morning. But before we do that, I just want to say a little bit about what is a parable. Um, Because I think I had this idea growing up that I knew that parables were stories, but I thought some of them were real. So I want to make sure that I kind of capture that for us this morning. A parable is a short story that is trying to teach a spiritual lesson. The parable borrows from the context of the listener, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the details in the parable are true. So like in case in this, this example, we're talking about the relationship between a master and a servant, a master and a slave. This doesn't necessarily mean that this is endorsing something like slavery. It's a story that is borrowing from the context of the listener to help make a lesson more clear for them. 
So it's a short story with a spiritual lesson. It's important to know with parables that parables always have one interpretation and they might have multiple applications. And we're going to see that this morning that while we all sit in different places in the room, while we all approach finances differently, while we all relate to God differently, there might be some of us that call ourselves Christians in the room. There might not be some of us who call, there might be some of us who aren't Christians in the room. We're going to see that this parable has multiple lessons for us, even though there's one interpretation in this parable. So without any more information, if you guys would just stand up this morning, we're going to read Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Jesus is telling this parable to the crowd, and he begins with this. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he who had five talents more, so also... um, He who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant." You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, good, um, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who He who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talents in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers And at coming, I should have received um, what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the place there will be the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray as we look at this story this morning, God, God, that you would just bring to the forefront of our minds the ways that we can manage our resources in light of our relationship with you. Father God, that this would be a message that we would sense how you're leading us. Father God, I pray that the timeliness of this message would just speak to our hearts. Father God, I pray that we walk out of here as people that are living with a mindset that's focused on your kingdom, God, not our own. So, Father God, we love you. We trust you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat this morning. So let's recap this story real quick for us this morning. There's a few things that we need to know before we, di- before we dive in. The master in this story is God. It's very clear from the front that we need to establish that 
what, who, what Jesus is saying is that this is a parable that is telling us about how people relate to God. There's two different categories of servants, even though there's more than two. There are those who God declares as good and faithful, and then there are, there are those that God declares as wicked and slothful. See, these are the responses that God gives to the servants based off the actions for the way that they manage their resources. Now, I'm going to say this often today because I want this to be very, very clear. The way that they manage their resources is a response to how they understand their relationship to God. They don't manage their resources and earn their relationship with God. They already had it. So if you're someone that's sitting there this morning and you're worried that you're going to start to feel guilty as we talk about this, what, how we manage our resources out of response to the established relationship we already have with God. So there are three lessons that I think we can learn from this parable, three truths that we can learn, and I think there are three applications out of that. The first lesson that we learn is this, is that God is the owner of everything. I want to begin with the question this morning. How do you view the money that you have? Whose is it? How do you spend it? (laughs) How do you think about it? I want to say this morning that I always value my money as if it's God's, but I know there's this constant battle in my heart between how I can spend my money for me or I can spend my money for God or how I can value my resources in a way that would be God-honoring. And there's this constant pull to build up my own little kingdom over building up God's kingdom. See, the way that we manage our money says something about the way that we relate to God. In fact, it begins by asking ourselves the question of whose money is it? See, we see throughout the entire Bible uh, When I was prepping for our foundations class that we did here at the church this past spring, I I noticed this, that every single book of the Bible identifies God as creator. Every single book. Every single book of the Bible implies that God is the owner of all things. To have a biblical worldview is to understand that God is the one who owns all the resources, that God is the master of everything, that God is our master and we relate to him as servant. One of my favorite quotes comes from A.W. Tozer and he says this. He says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I would add, secondly, that the way we use our resources is in response to how we think about God. Who owns what we have in our possession? It's God's. I want to dig this in a little bit more. I did a little bit uh, more research this week as I was just looking for, you know, themes throughout the Bible about how God is the owner of everything. So I want to just read you some verses that kind of span across all of Scripture this morning to just kind of really share with you this biblical worldview of how God owns everything. Again, in Genesis 1.1, God establishes that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. In Leviticus 25.23, This is God talking. He says, The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. 
This is in reference to the promised land. For you are but aliens and sojourners with me. In Joshua 1.3, God declares, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. In Job 41, God proclaims this. He said, Who has been given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heavens is mine. Psalm 24, the psalmist records, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Psalm 50, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 104, 24, it records this, O Lord, how many are your works and your wisdom, you have made them all, the earth is full of your possessions. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. In Acts 4, right at the establishment of the early church, you hear the early church declare this. They say, and when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God, and with one accord they said, O Lord, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Paul writes in his letter to the church in Corinth, for the earth is the Lord and Lord's and all it contains. One more for you. This is one of my favorites. In Ephesians 4, 6, Paul says, There is one God, one Father, over all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Everything on this earth is God's. And we need to manage God's resources as if they're his, not ours. So again, the way we spend our money says something about how we relate to God. The second lesson that we learn from this parable is this, is that God has entrusted us with his resources. Our primary identity as people, as humans, is servants to God. We see this established from the very, very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, this is what's called the Imago Dei, God establishes humankind, and this is what he says. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on this earth. So there's two things that are established in this verse. First is we are made in the image of God. I want to pause here for a second because I think this is very important, and every time I talk about this, I want to mention this, but being made in the image of God is something that's prescribed to all people not just those that are in Christ. To be human is to be made in the image of God. Now, the second part of this verse is where we establish those who are in Christ and those who are not. And see, what he says is, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, so on, so on, and so on. See, we are made as people, as humans, in the image of God for the purpose of ruling over the earth, but not ruling over the earth out of our flesh, but ruling over the earth out of our status as image bearers of God. See, this is a principle that's established from the very beginning. This is not a new lesson that Jesus is teaching to this crowd. He is reminding them that the way that we manage the things that we have is as relationship as us as humans, us as servants, to the master. 
So when we think about our resources, when we think about the decisions that we make, when we think about the ways that we treat people, when we think about the ways that we vote, when we think about anything, we should think of it out of the status of image bearer, meaning that I am a servant of the God of the universe who has entrusted me with resources. And I am supposed to rule over those resources. I am supposed to manage those resources as God would call me to. So again, we established from the very beginning of this passage that God is the owner of everything. And secondly, that God has entrusted us with resources. But the third thing we learn from this passage in this is this, and this is something that we have to really be sensitive as we talk about this morning. It's that God will hold us accountable for how we manage our resources. We see this very clearly from the story. We see that there are servants that God declares as good and faithful. There are servants that God declares as wicked and slothful based off of the way that they manage their resources. But I want to I show you something that's really, really important that I think sometimes we miss in this story. Can we get that verse uh, 24 and 25 up there? This is the response of the wicked and slothful servant as he comes before the master. He, who also had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talents in the ground. Here, um, here have what is yours. What's important to note This claim, this declaration about the master, I think sometimes when we read this parable, we just automatically assume that it's true. (laughs) We assume that like, yeah, the master must have been a hard man or he wouldn't have said it. The master must have been someone that was tight with his resources and so that's why he was so concerned. But see, that's not what the parable says. The master goes on and he poses the question back to him. Why? Because it's a false claim about the master. See, God is incredibly generous. Again, he's entrusted us with our resources. I'm happy with the things I have. God has blessed me in abundance. I think we all believe that. So what we see in this story, a response from the wicked and slothful servant, isn't so much about how the, what the master is. See, he's declaring the master to be wicked. He's declaring, declaring him to be a hard man, to not be honorable, but it's a false claim. It's not true. See, this is why the way we manage our resources says something about the way we we relate to God. It's not the other way around. And we have to know this as we think about the truth that we will be held accountable for the way that we manage our resources. Because when we manage our resources, we're not earning God's favor. You already have it. You already have an established identity. This is what Jesus is saying. Since the beginning of the earth, you have been established as God's servant. You have been made in his image. He loves you greatly, all people. And he has given you the freedom to rule over his earth as if he would rule it. And then what do we see? We see time and time again, we make earth about our kingdom and not about God's. So the way that we respond to the master 
is in response to the way that we view God. So God will hold us accountable for our resources. I think there's a few things that we can learn from this. The first is this. We need to make no mistake that the Bible does teach that Christians will be judged. There's, two, there's different judgments. There will be judged for our relationship to Christ, and we'll be judged for the way that we manage our resources. The Bible does teach that we will stand before God one day, and we will be held accountable for the ways in which we lived, for the things that we've done. Those things won't go to heaven with us. We don't carry that baggage with us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be judged on our eternal salvation based off the merit of the way that we live our actions. That's not what I'm saying. We will be stand before God and held accountable for the way that we manage his resources. But the reality is that for those who are in Christ, we have the glorious inheritance of the kingdom of God, which is solely on the work of what Jesus did on the cross. But we need to realize that. We do need to hold that tension closely. We need to not think that, you know what, I can just go on doing everything I'm going to do and I'm never going to be held accountable for it. That in the depths of the way we manage our money in our bank accounts, the way that we're building up our own kingdoms, we will stand before the God of the universe one day. And we'll have to answer for those things. The second thing we need to know is this. That we don't, re- we don't achieve a relationship to the master by managing resources better. You already have it. It's been established since the beginning of the universe. You have an established relationship with the master. We manage out of that relationship. We don't manage to earn it. The third thing we need to recognize is this, that our wrestling with this very well may be God growing us. The identity of the servant is found in how they understand their relationship to the master. See, I know when we start to talk about money, when we start to talk about how we manage our resources, how we manage the things that God has given us, that it elicits a different response in each of us. In some people in the room that we start to feel guilty. Or we start to say, am I doing enough? And it makes us nervous. And see, something that I say often when I speak in our student ministry, because I think it's true for them, but I was reminded this week by a staff member how important this is for adults in this conversation too, is that your wrestling very well may be the Holy Spirit working this out inside of you. You wouldn't wrestle with it if you didn't care. Meaning that because you're someone saying, man, how can I do this better? How is God calling me to do more? How is God calling me to be more disciplined with my finances? That very well may mean that the Holy Spirit is working this out inside of you. So don't be fearful of your wrestling. And definitely don't let your wrestling turn yourself away from the master. We're all wrestling with this. Your wrestling very likely is telling you that you are understanding your relationship to God the master appropriately. Again, we see the response of the servant. <laughs> that is his, his response to the master is a clear sign that he doesn't see his relationship with the master appropriately as the other servants do. Last truth we see in this story is this, is that God has prepared this work for you. So trust him with it. See, the master gives talents to the servants differently. And the servants respond differently back with those talents that are given to them. But God gives you resources for you to manage. He's prepared this work for you. What you have, I think sometimes we have this tendency to say, God, if you just gave me more, I could do more. 
That's just, that's just not true. We all know that. I, I know that. You know, I know when I was 18 years old that the way I manage my money affects the way that I manage my money now at 30 years old. Your disciplines just don't change overnight. The way that you relate to God doesn't change overnight. But see, God has given you what you have, and he's calling you to respond to it appropriately. He's not calling you to do more with stuff that you don't have. He's not calling you to say, God, if you just gave me more, I'd be better with it. What God is saying is I've given you this. I've prepared this work for you. Now respond faithfully to it. That means that we discern. Okay, God, what do you want me to do with my resources? What are you calling me uniquely to? What are you calling my family uniquely to? And we walk in that. So how do we do that? Well, I think there's three applications this morning. But before we do that, I want to make sure that we understand this with the backdrop of the gospel. I came across this quote as I was prepping this week, and I think this quote captures the heart of this message very well. This is from Tim Keller. Tim Keller says, Every treasure but Jesus insists that you die to purchase it. But Jesus is the one treasure that died to purchase you. See, friends, we live in response to what God has done in us. We live in response to the relationship that we have with Christ. The way we manage our resources says something about how we relate to God. It doesn't earn that relationship with God, but it says something about it. And we are at risk of making money one of the greatest idols of our heart. Simply as humans we are, it was true for a ton of first century Jews, a ton of first century Romans. It's incredibly true for some 21st century Americans, some of the richest people ever in the, in the history of the earth. It is so true for us that we are at risk of making this an idol of our heart. But we also must remember that we live in response to what God has done for us. We are in possession of the greatest treasure in the history of the world. So we live out of that. We live out of overflow. Again, our church has the mission of the three B's, belong, become, and beyond. This is the mission of our church. It's also a flow of the gospel. As we belong with Christ, as we're becoming like him, we can't help but to move beyond ourselves and respond in how we live and welcome other people in to this same relationship with God. That is the gospel message. So here's three application points from the sermon this morning. The first is this, we serve God, not money. Do not let money become your God. And, I, and I, I know that this is something that's incredibly difficult in the context we live in. I know we all live with different stressors. You know, for those of us that are in ministries, in ministry it's a little different. You know, you're, you're never really going to make money. So you're not necessarily running after money as hard. I know how tempting it is for those of us that say we're in the corporate sector to see how we're taught that money is something that defines us. How much I make versus how much they make says something that the way that someone values me. But we have to be so, so careful to not serve the little g God of money with our lives. To center our entire lives around having more of it. Because the reality is that everybody knows somebody who has more money than them. I think that's the thing that we think sometimes, right? We think about the people that are higher up in our company, but we forget the people they're hanging out with, right? That have way more money than they do. 
You always can have more money and it will never satisfy you. Money is an empty God. Not saying avoid it, not saying don't use it, not saying just leave here and dump it all out on the road because it doesn't matter. (laughs) I'm saying that don't make money your God. The second is this, build God's kingdom, not your own. See, I think we have this reality that money is something that can secure us. Something that if we work really hard towards and we save enough and we'll be okay and then, you know, we can go forth with that. But the reality is that you will reap way more in this life and in eternity from your focus being how can I serve the kingdom of God than serving your own kingdom. I heard a pastor say this really well once and he he was telling a story and he had someone come to him and they felt called to go into missions, like really, really felt called. They weren't just discerning it and they had a conversation with their parents and their parents said, why don't you go to grad school first? And, you know, and, and they're like, what do I do about that? They want me to go to grad school and they want me to save this amount of money and then I can go to the mission field. And, and the pastor said, okay, I want you to tell them this, that we are on a rock that is spinning at 1,000 miles per hour around the sun and any moment it's going to end and your master's degree isn't going to go with you. Now, I want to put that in perspective. I'm someone who's about to earn a master's degree this semester. So I'm not, I'm not devaluing education by any means. But what I am saying is that we need to hold the things of this world, the little things that we're building up to protect ourselves, in light of eternity, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The last application for this story, I believe, is this. Establish disciplines that center your life around the kingdom of God. I want to tell a story this morning, um, and I'm going to get emotional, so I'm sorry. Um, so my parents are here, um, Mike and Lisa Green, um, and there was a small moment in my childhood that is foundational to the way that I understand God and money, um, just incredibly foundational. And um, one evening in the um, winter I was at the top of the stairs in my bedroom, which my parents was right next to downstairs. Um, and my parents were down there, and we never, had a, we, we never had a lot of money. We never had a little money. We were like the definition of middle class, just right there, four kids, what you would expect. And I remember that about every year, my dad, not every year, but most years, my dad would get a Christmas bonus. And, and I remember one year, um, our church was in the middle of a um, what you would say is a capital campaign, which again, no pastors like those either. We just know we have to do them. Our church was in the middle of a capital campaign as I'm growing up, and, and I'm at the top of the stairs, and I hear my parents discerning what to do with my dad's Christmas bonus. And I'm a kid. I'm maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm 11, 12, who knows how old I was. And I hear my parents down there talking about and wrestling with how much of this money should they, should they give to the church. And I remember thinking that they gave way more than I would have as an 11-year-old. And I remember my gut reaction was like, what could I do with this? You know, what, what could we do if we had this money? See, in that moment, in just a moment, not trying to, I want to thank my parents for that because it's foundational to the way that I understand money. But in a moment, my parents showed me that establishing disciplines that center your life around the mission of God can impact generations. I watched them wrestle with how to spend the resources that God had entrusted them with. How building up the kingdom was even in that moment a little bit better than having more money in your bank account. 
It was foundational to me. I know that I'm speaking to a room full of more adults than I am kids. The way that we understand money and our resources will have impacts for generations. Generations. It'll have impacts in eternity. And so I want to thank them for that. Because see, for me, I feel like I grew up having an appropriate understanding of money because I watched the way that they manage their money and their resources. And so I want to close with that this morning because I want you guys to know that what we're doing here, when we think about how we manage our resources, that again, it's not about just having more of it. It's not about just giving more away. It's in a response to the way that we understand our relationship with the God of the universe. That we are called to manage our resources out of the identity that's been given to us. That when you understand how truly good the master is, you can't help but to manage his resources faithfully. And I know for those of us in this room today that we love God. And he has done tremendous things for our lives. He's done tremendous things for our church. So I pray that we respond back to him appropriately. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful. So thankful, God, that you entrust us with anything. God, I know we are not deserving of the things that we have. Father God, I know that we all have different resources throughout this room. Some of us would define ourselves as having much. Some of us would define ourselves as having little. Father God, but I just pray for a moment that we can just respond with gratefulness to you for the things that we have. And Father God, I pray that as we go throughout our weeks, that you grow us, that we work to discern how we can respond better with the resources that we have, how we can rule out of this identity of image bearer, God, not holding everything so loosely that we understand that it's yours, Father. Father God, I pray that for my family. I pray that for our church. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.